Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. And 22. Good morning, Susie. I know why you're so happy today, You Katie. better believe it. I'm going wahoo fishing as soon as we're done with this great podcast. Look at her little face. <laughs> I'm not going with her, right? But Colo and KT are going because the season, wahoo season, it's almost not, over. It's almost over at the end of February. And we've got to catch. And, and and it's been so cold here, hasn't it? Really chilly, Willie. Yeah. I know. I have on a big sweatshirt. I'm so cold this morning, Katie. How come we built a house with no heat in it? Because we live in the Bahamas. Oh, right. All right, everybody. <laughs> this is Ask Katie and... Susie. Anything. And here's how it works. It's very, very simple. You want to ask us a question. Now, why wouldn't you want to ask us a question, KT? Do you know why they wouldn't want to ask us a question? Because they're silly if they don't ask. Silly, silly, silly. If you want to ask us a question, just write your question into Ask Susie Podcast. That's S-U-Z-E Podcast at gmail.com. And if KT chooses it, we will answer it on the podcast. However... And all of you know this is true for all of you that I've answered personally. I do go through those emails. And if one of them catches my eye, I will answer you personally. All right, KT, what's the first we, question? We have a great lineup today, just so you know. By Katie, the way, every week you no, say no, no, that. No, but you say that uh, every Susie, look, week. Look at this pile. I have over 12, I think I have about. 15 questions. I don't think we'll get through them all, but we may. So let me give it a shot. This is from Anita. Hi, Susie and KT. I'm a huge fan. It was Susie's guidance with the recommended emergency savings that helped me keep my home when I was unexpectedly laid off without any severance in 2010. I paid the home in full in 2020. Yeah, Congratulations, baby. Yeah, baby. yeah, baby. So here's her question. Yeah. My dad told me he made me the executor of his estate when he passes. I'm having a hard time asking about his accounts and his wishes. I don't want any family members to think I'm asking because I want his money. I think it would be a nightmare not knowing where his accounts are held and to figure out his wishes. I once worked up the courage to ask where he wanted to be buried, and even that conversation was really hard. So Anita's asking, Susie, 
I don't even know if he has a will or anything. What advice can you give her? Anita, he told you that he has made you the executor of his estate. When somebody is the executor of an estate, that means that there is a will in place because trustees and successor trustees take care of revocable trusts. Wills, executors are the name of the person that's been named to take care of that business. However, with that said, you listen to me and you listen to me closely. Your father told you, you didn't ask him, he told you he made you the executor of the estate. Therefore, you should go back to him and sit down and say to him, Dad, what does that even mean? That's what, a great idea. Right? What does that mean I do? You know, that's like making me the captain of a, of a boat and I've never been on a boat before, so I'm never going to get that boat to where it needs to go. Possibly I'll even sink it. So, Dad... What does that mean? And engage him in an intelligent conversation because to be the executor of an estate is a big deal. It means you settle every single bank account, credit card, everything that's out there. You give the people the money that are supposed to be getting the money. So you have to know where all the money is, which leads into then dad, after he tells you what that means, well, how am I going to do that if I don't know where the money is? So can you give me a list of where everything is? But the other thing that I want to say to everybody, stop making this conversation that you need to have with your elders, with your parents, one that you are afraid of having. If you know your intentions, if you know that you are not talking to them because you want their money, then just stop it. Stop it right then and there and have the courage to ask the questions that need to be asked before it's too late. Otherwise, I promise you, you're going to wish you had. Next question, KT. Okay. Greetings, KT and Susie. I so enjoy your podcast and particularly the two of you and your love oh, for one we another. Know why so she beautiful. Chose it. And so, a skeleton, how much do you love me? <laughs> 20. That's all. <laughs> okay, ready? I understand, 20. Susie, that you personally prefer ETFs over index funds. Would you please explain why? What are the advantages and disadvantages of both investments? First of all, an ETF can be an index ETF, and it can be the exact same index as you follow with a mutual fund, such as my favorite, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund is a mutual fund. The Vanguard Total Stock Market Index ETF is an ETF. Both of them, however, follow the exact same index. Got that? Next, however, I like ETFs over mutual funds because number one, many mutual funds have a minimum. Vanguard sometimes has a $3,000 minimum to be able to partake. Now that we have slices of stocks and ETFs, which means you have $10 to invest, you can invest it in that via many brokerage firms. I like ETFs because of that, number one. Number two, 
I also like that you can buy and sell an ETF at any time the market is open. That is not true for a mutual fund. You can only buy or sell the mutual fund and get the closing price of what it closed that day. Now, I've done past podcasts on this, so find that podcast and you'll find out more in detail. But yes, I like ETFs over mutual funds. Okay, this is one of my favorites, Susie. Oh, wait, let me (laughs) guess. guess? Let me, can you all guess out there? What do you think the topic of this next email question is? Starts with an R. R. (laughs) Okay, good afternoon. If we ever get a little doggy, I'm going to call it Roth. If we ever had a child, I'd call him or her Roth. All right, ready? (laughs) Well, we know we're never going to have a child, so so we could have a doggy. Yeah. It's possible. Hi, Susie and KT. I want to thank you for all your help over the years. I'm one individual who has always been taken advantage of the backdoor Roth. I know late last year you told everybody the backdoor Roth option might be going away. What's happened to that? Am I still able to do a backdoor Roth in 2022? Stephanie. Stephanie, you can still do it. Do it, do it, do it. Because why? They haven't gotten around to it yet. So you're still able to do it. Go, KT. Okay, this is from Bill. Hi, KT and Susie. I'm glad you're recovering well. I like that people know that you're still recovering, Susie. That makes me happy. It doesn't make me so happy. I I thank you for all the great financial... my voice will ever come back, KT? It will, but you have to stop talking. She talks all day. She's like a parrot here. She talks to the birds. She talks to her plants. She talks to Colo all day long. She talks to me. So I try to to make her sit and just be silent. Okay, ready? I thank you for all the great financial and life advice you provide to everyone. I truly appreciate you. So this is now about introducing her to Series I bonds. Before buying for 2022, do you think we should just buy them now or wait until closer to April before the rates change and see how inflation is going? And if you think it's good, Susie, to buy them now, should we just invest the entire 10000 or invest a little and see how the rest of the year goes? And then Bill asks this important question. Susie, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought that was What so am I funny. doing with what? I think with your <laughs> I-bonds. Oh, I buy them as soon as I possibly can. Bill, buy them now. If you have $10,000, buy all $10,000 now and lock in the interest rate, which you will get for the next six months. When that's over, I guarantee you that, you know, in May, when they change interest rates and everything, it's going to be either the same, maybe a little higher, who knows, but who cares? So do it now. What are you all waiting for? Remember, it just doesn't make any sense to wait. I, I, I can't just do okay, it, okay? next is Johanna. <laughs> Hi, Susie and KT. I was laid off in May 2020, and I have about 690000 wow, in my old employer's retirement account. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. The expense ratios vary from 0.08% to 0.8%. 86%. Do you all know what that means, expense ratios? Anyway, you should. Go on. 
If not listen to past podcasts, go on. Should I consider an IRA direct rollover? If so, how do I go about doing that? I'll be 44 years old this year. Hmm. That's from Johanna. Johanna, here's what I would tell you. Your expense ratios that you have are fabulous. No problem with those, okay? The problem is when you have that much money and then you do an IRA rollover with it, the new question becomes, now what do you invest in? So if you don't have the confidence to take $680,000 and do an IRA rollover into a discount brokerage firm to invest in everything, then I probably wouldn't do it. Or you could do it little by little. Theoretically, however, it is far better to have an IRA rollover where this money is invested because of the variety of investments that you could make versus what I'm sure they're offering you in your 401k plan from your ex-employer. But the question again becomes, do you feel secure enough to do that? And if you don't, leave it where it is or do it little by little. The next email is from Hawaii, and I'm kind of proud because I know how to pronounce her name. It says, Aloha, KT and Susie. My name is Meila Kaniaikala. How's that, Susie? Yeah, it's good. It's actually I don't think easy, I... easy to pronounce Hawaiian names. You know why? Why? All of the, the syllables, all the letters are flat. They're all as you read them. E is E, A is A, I is I. So, so Meila. I did do that. Meila. 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 Kani Aia Kala. Okay. I'm proud of you, KG. Go on. All right. So here's what she said. You'll like this. Hope you're feeling better. May your voice get better soon. Your raspy voice is pretty cool to hear, though. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> and then she said she listens to you every week when she works out in the morning. But here's her question. She's happily married. They have three kids, 12, 9, and 6. Her husband's 43, and she just turned 40. What she's not happy about is they have accumulated debt, Susie. They have $32,000 of credit card debt. They have a combined income of about 120000 However, they're barely making ends meet. Hawaii is very expensive. And what they'd want to do, and the question is, we'd like to get out of this credit card debt so we can then focus our energy on paying off our mortgage and HELOC. Then we would be debt-free. So she's asking if she should look into, I guess, debt consolidation companies or whatever advice you can give them in terms of getting out of this $32,000 of credit card debt. The most important thing to get out of credit card debt is to, number one, always pay more than the minimum payment due. And number two, make sure that you have the lowest possible interest rate available. So this is the time that you look at your FICO scores, your credit scores, and if you have a good one, 700 or above, 720 or above, then I would apply if I were you 
if you have a high interest rate, to lower interest rate cards or do a balance transfer to a card that has a 0% interest rate for like 21 months. They are out there. So first, you have to do your homework and make sure that you have the lowest possible interest rates available to you. Next, you are to line up your credit cards from the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate. Next, you are to put, and do this on paper, everybody, you are to put the minimum payment that is currently due on this month's statement on each one of those credit cards. Then you are to total up the minimum payments that are due in total, all right? And you are to add 20% to that. So let's just say, after adding up all your credit card minimum payments that are due, it comes to, oh, let's just say $800 a month. You are to add 20% to that or $160. Then what I want you to do is take that $160 that you are going to find somewhere and you are going to add that to your monthly payment of your highest interest rate card. Got that? Now, the minimum payments due that you have all written down for this month, or you have written down for this month, you are never going to pay less than that. So you're going to pay the minimum payment due on your highest interest rate card plus the $160 in this example. When that card is paid off, you're going to take that minimum payment that was due, the $160, and roll it down to the next highest interest rate card that you have been paying that fixed minimum payment due as of this month. And you're going to continue to roll that down until all your cards are paid off. It is just that simple. If you do that, you will be out of credit card debt before you know it. Now, one last thing. Can you just put all those credit cards away, put them in your freezer, freeze it <laughs> right here, because the key to it is you cannot use these credit cards anymore, period. Miki, aloha and mahalo. Oh my God, she has. She, I, I, we have to start videotaping these podcasts. Yeah, I like that. She, she has the biggest smile on her face. Makes me want to have a huli huli chicken. What the heck is huli huli chicken? You've never made me huli huli chicken. <laughs> we have to go to Hawaii for that. I love okay. Hawaii. Ready? This I is wish from... we didn't live so far from Hawaii. Well, we live on the other side of Do you know paradise. that I used to boogie board all the time on really big waves, not only in Hawaii, but like in Half Moon Bay, everything you in? You did? I did. Did you ever get a real tumble in the Oh wave? my God, in Hawaii, the first time I caught this huge wave, I didn't understand that it sucks up all the water. Uh -huh. So in front of you, there is no water. Right. <laughs> Shallow. And I, ugh. Anyway, Lots of sand in your mouth, hair, I ears. tumbled and tumbled. I didn't do that again. <laughs> All right, go okay, on. Okay, this next one is from Ted. I'm so happy you're feeling better. Your advice has served me well over the years, and I feel financially secure at age 60. However, mm. in September 2021, I invested $10,000 
2.75% of my rollover IRA in Schwab U.S. TIPS ETF. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that because of the high inflation, it would be a good investment as a hedge against stock market volatility. I received dividends of $181, and the current value for 160 shares is 9860 The interest rates have not yet risen. Why are the tips losing value? Because you don't understand how tips, especially tips ETFs, work. KT, First of I- all, want me to tell everyone what a tip is? Yeah, when you go into a restaurant and leave some... <laughs> no. What? Treasury Inflation Protection Security. Did you look that up? I did, Susie, because I thought you'd say, KT, do you know what a tip is? <laughs> and I didn't want to say, yeah, I'm a big tipper. <laughs> You're not as big a tipper as me. Never will be. <laughs> no. Right. Here's the thing. And on Sunday, I guess I need to do a Susie School on the difference between I-bonds and TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, which you also can buy through U.S. Treasury Direct. But to answer this question very simply, it's this. TIPS don't raise the interest rate. TIPS, the interest rate is fixed. What changes is the amount of money. So either the if inflation goes up, they add that inflation to your principal. But that's how it always works if you buy an individual tip. If you buy a TIPS ETF, they tend to work like regular bonds. And so when interest rates go up, the value of your TIP ETF will go down. So that's what's been happening to you. I, if I were you, would do a series I bond or a treasury inflation protection security directly through treasury direct where you can buy individual ones and that would be far better off. Wait, I have to say one other thing, KT. Everybody, you have got to get this right. When I talk about series I bonds, do not put them in the same category as when I'm talking about corporate bonds, municipal bonds, treasury bonds, and so forth. So Sunday, you'll explain that very carefully. But it's really important. So when I say I don't like bonds right now, and then you get confused because I'm telling you all to buy series I bonds, they are not the same. They are not the same. Do not put them in the same category. This next next, uh, email is from Terry. Hi, team S-O-K-T. Do you like that one? I like S-O-K-T, but should we tell them what it really, what, what, how we do our initials really? K-O-S-T. Yeah, cost. Then we don't forget it. Right, because it's cost. (laughs) So it's Kathy, Orman, Susie, Travis. K-O-S-T. Okay. I wish I could change my name to your last name. Oh, this is fine. All right. This is this is a question from I Terry. I would like that, to be Susie Orman Travis. This is a question from Terry that I think lots of people will relate to. Lots of she women. She is not playing with me today, people. This is an important question about a widow. So let's let's listen up. My husband died when I was 53. He began taking his Social Security benefits when he was 62 before mm. he died. Mm. I'm now 57 
And my understanding is I will be able to take a portion of his social security benefits when I turn 60. Then I will be able to change from his to mine. Mine will be higher once I turn 67. I just want to make sure I don't have to switch from his to mine when I am eligible for mine at 62 and can wait until my full retirement age of 67 or 70. Is that correct? Yes. It's kind of like a um, a little riddle here. Yes. So can you just give people the simple rules, Susie? Yeah, it's it's a little riddle here. It, it's Terry not wrote. a riddle. It's just how it works. So yes, Terry, when you turn 60, you will be able to collect your deceased husband's social security that he was collecting. However, because you're collecting it before your full social security age, you will only get 71.5% of what he was getting at that time. When you turn 67, your full social security age, you then will switch if you want to, to whatever amount that will be. And or if you wait till 70, or whatever age between 67 and 70, you will get that full amount at that time. But because he took Social Security early, he was penalized. And now in terms of not getting his full full Social Security, and when you take it at 60, which you should, by the way, you will get 71.5% of what he was getting. Okay, good. You set that straight. Okay, Susie, next question is from Samantha. Hi, KT and Susie. I have a quick question about retirement. I'm 54. I plan to work until age 70. At that time, I hope to have over, wow, I hope to have over $2 million in my 401k. If I only take three or 4% out per year, won't my gains make up that difference? So provided the market does reasonably well after I retire, I understand there's no guarantees. Won't my money keep replenishing? Sam. So Samantha, you're 54. 70 is 16 years away. And somehow you say you hope to have over $2 million in your 401k. However, What will 16 years from now, what will that $2 million, if you have $2 million, what will that buy? And how did you figure out that you would have $2 million? If inflation keeps up at 7, 8, 9, 10% a year, then what will that $2 million buy? No way for us to know because we don't know what inflation is going to be. Number two, Hopefully, you figured out that you would have $2 million based on maybe a 3 or 4% annual average rate of return. So that's important because we've just gone through, you know, many years of a bull market. Everything's great. Well, guess what? Bear markets can last 15 or 18 years as well. So you have to plan every year according to what is happening. Now, with that said, if you only take out 3 or 4%, it also depends on 
What are your expenses? Are those stocks, are those investments generating income for you? So a safe way to also play it is to make sure that you have high dividend paying stocks within that retirement portfolio so that it at least pays you the income that you know you're going to need because if the markets start to take a hit, that $2 million could go to $1 million in one year very easily, then what? So there's no way for me to say in 16 years from now, is that going to be enough? I have absolutely no idea. But you have to look at it at the time and be really, really conservative and make sure the biggest thing is that when you retire, if you own a home, you own it outright. You own your car outright. You have no credit card debt. You have a lot of money in emergency savings accounts that you really have set yourself up so it costs you very little to live. Oh, she, I'm not sure if you like that answer or not. I just was thinking that the first thing you said was 16 years away. I mean, she's calculating, six, who knows what's going to happen in 16 years? Yeah, that's it's why. It's like the what ifs. Yeah, and you can see it happening right now, KT. Mm. You know, the other day on the Today Show, which we watch every single morning. Love it. They did a whole thing on orange juice and how much more orange juice is going to cost you now. And again, we all know that everything is costing more. So how do we know what things are going to be costing 16, 16 years, years from now? And, you know, so we have at the same time, we have inflation going up. So everything is costing more. We have the stock market taking serious hits in certain areas. And so do you have as much money as you thought you had? If you were retiring this year, you may feel like, uh-oh, now what am I going to do? So it's interesting, KT. Things change very quickly. So this, this next question is a good question. This is KT, from me. they are No, all but, but this relates questions. a little bit to what we just talked about. All right. Hi, Susie. Our company offers traditional 401k and Roth 401k. I'm 47 years old and had always been contributing to the traditional they just offered the Roth last year. Which one is more beneficial for my age? <laughs> Betty May's putting 15% of her income in right now. So she's asking which one is more now, beneficial. KT, you know how to answer this one. Roth. You got Go it. Go for the Roth. But let me ask you this, Susie. She's been contributing to the traditional. So you just leave that? Leave the traditional. And open the Roth. And, and just start putting new contributions into the Roth. If your income can tolerate it, meaning you're not in that high of a tax bracket, given that you're still so young, you can start converting little by little money from your traditional 401k to your new Roth 401k, just know you will owe taxes on any amount that you convert. But you have enough time to make up for that tax loss and everything. So oh, as much money as you can have in a Roth situation, you absolutely should. And if you have more money, open up a Roth IRA if you qualify it for it income-wise, because you can have both, KT. Right. So Susie, in keeping in the spirit of Roth, KT, can I say something, right? The Roth retirement accounts really are the most extraordinary place to save money bar none. 
So the reason that I like that you choose so many questions about Roths is that every single one of our podcast listeners, KT, need to understand the importance of having a Roth retirement account at work, a Roth IRA, a Roth whatever you can have, because there will never, ever, ever again be a retirement account that's as beneficial as a Roth in the long run. Okay, okay, so all the nurses out there, listen up. This is from Mika. I'm a registered nurse for the VA. They offer a traditional TSP with a 3% match and a TSP Roth. Yes. I've recently heard you talk about how you love the Roths and prefer that over the 401ks and TSPs which makes complete sense to me, but what about that free money from the match? So the question is, should I contribute 3% to the traditional TSP just to get the match and then max out my Roth in addition to that? Should I consider moving those TSP funds into the Roth? So, so I just the- answered that a little bit ago about converting from a traditional 401k to a Roth 401k. So Mika, the same would apply to you. However, please listen to me. And everybody, you need to get this one point really straight. If you put money, all of your money into a Roth 401k, a Roth 403b, a Roth TSP, and your entity that you work for matches your contribution, they just simply match what you put into the Roth portion into the traditional TSP. You do not have to put your money into the traditional TSP, the traditional 401k, the traditional 403b to get the match. That's simply where the match goes because your employer wants a tax write-off. So you could fully fund or do whatever you want with your Roth employer plan, and you will still get the match in the traditional one. You all have to understand that's how it works. So yeah, continue to put whatever you want into the Roth TSP and you probably qualify for a Roth IRA and you should have a Roth IRA as well. All right. It is quizzy time, oh, KT. I'm ready, Susie. Then I'm going fishing, everyone. <laughs> All right. I know the sun's almost up. You got to get out there. Uh-huh. Hi, Susie and KT. I have been listening to your podcast for several years and appreciate the wealth of information that you provide. They love you, KT. <laughs> My question is, in January, listen up, everybody, because this is not just a quizzy for KT. This is a quizzy for all of you. In January 2022, I converted for the first time $60,000. Ugh from my traditional IRA to my Roth IRA. Couldn't you have done it in like, you know, half in 21 and half in 22, but that's besides the point. The question is, when am I required to pay the federal taxes on this conversion? Now they converted just this month. January, January, okay. Is it by the end of the first quarter of 2022? Or when I file my 2022 taxes in April of 2023. 
Which one? Well, I have a feeling it's at the first quarter, but I want to say it's when you file your taxes. However, people can extend the filing of the taxes, right? That has nothing to do with the answer. Okay, so, so I'm going to go with the first quarter. Unless both of those are wrong. Are you positive? (laughs) Maybe both of those are wrong. (laughs) Okay, I'll go with the first quarter. Oh, it was when you file your taxes. Yeah. That's what I thought. Taxes for anything really that you do in 2022, especially when it comes to converting money from a traditional retirement account to a Roth, do not need to be paid until you file your taxes. And the latest date you can do so is April of 2023. So that's the answer to that. However, I do just have to make a comment. When you are thinking about doing a conversion, everybody, and you're thinking about converting at the beginning of the year, unless there's been a dramatic income change for 2022, for instance, versus 2021, Why, once you have done $30,000 in 2021, in December, $30,000 in January of 2022, you then would have split that tax liability because $60,000 all at once is a lot of money. So don't do it that way. How many fish are you going to catch today? I knew you were going to ask me that question. I'd like to catch three, but I'll be happy with one wahoo on the boat. But I'd like to catch three wahoo on the boat. So when she asks how many fish, you always have to specify wahoo because we catch fish all day. We catch barracudas, we catch mahi, we catch all kinds of fish, but we want wahoo. And how are you supposed to say it? Three on the boat. At least. At least Three wahoo on, on the, boat. the boat. Never limit what's meant to come your way, everybody. So until Sunday, we want you to make sure that there's only one thing that you know we want for you, and that is to be safe, strong, and secure. secure. See you Sunday. Good luck fishing, Thanks, Katie. Susie. Bye. We can't give up. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.